Welcome to Dark Britain, the podcast that looks back on and tells the story of the darker parts of Britain's history. On this episode, we thought that a pretty good place to start would be Jack the Ripper. He has become so iconic, not only in the history of Britain, but also true crime in general. He has baffled people, fascinated people, and in a lot of cases, frustrated people uh, ever since 1888 when the murders took place. And so we thought it'd be a pretty good place to start. And before we do start, this is completely out of the blue. We have not prepared this question, but I thought it'd be interesting to find out what you think of Jack the Ripper right off the bat. What do you think about him, who he was, his legacy, where, the place that he holds in today's culture? Um, so if you think about it at home as well, and let us know on your forums, but for me, Jack the Ripper is a really interesting one, especially the most recent scholarship, which has seek to focus on the victims. Surely they mm. should be getting the attention, not this random man. But then when you think about it, was it even a man? We don't even know. And I think that's why it's so interesting to the nation, really. And it's going to be a really interesting episode, and I look forward to hearing more. So, Zach, why don't you set the scene for us of 19th century London? Well, it was a it was a crazy time, 1888, and where we find ourselves are the streets of Whitechapel, at the East End of London, and Whitechapel was a labyrinth of streets, absolutely packed to the seams with people and horses and stalls, buildings, houses, many of which were actually converted into kind of makeshift brothels. Um, mm. So it was incredibly noisy, busy. Ventilation was really, really poor in the homes that were in the streets. And all the water that the people were drinking came, came from shared standpipes in the streets. So it was just awful conditions. The sanitation was almost non-existent. And two from every 10 children would die from disease. Gosh. The annual death rate was about 50 in a hundred in a thousand which is just crazy statistics and um in the 1881 census there were a million people that lived in Whitechapel. one third of those were in poverty so these Gosh. are squalid poor horrific conditions to be living in really it's interesting and, um, being so late as well in the mm. century you know 1888 is relatively recent if you think you know sort of 30 years after that you have the first world war so it's very very interesting to think about exactly exactly we would consider this pretty modern mm. uh, given the time period which is which is crazy that these are the conditions that people are living in 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 that sense so it was a confusing hectic noisy dark crime and diseased riddled labyrinth of slums and alleyways the conditions were awful but that meant that they were the perfect setting for serial murder. And this is where Jack the Ripper comes in. So do you want to tell us a little bit about these victims? Because I know that we have mm -hmm. the five canonical victims. Everyone kind of agrees that these are the victims of Jack the Ripper. But if we add in all the other people that are supposedly his victims, that number rises to around 19 which mm -hmm. is a huge number of victims. But these these five canonical ones, uh, we kind of want to focus on them, I think. Yeah, 100%, especially because the other 19, you don't know if 
you know, who's to say there weren't multiple Jack the Rippers going around at that time? Yeah. So at least these five we definitely know about. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll just share the five names first and then give you a little bit of background on each of them. So we've got Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes and Mary Jane Kelly. So Mary Ann Nichols was a Londoner born in 1845. She and her husband had five children, but separated around 1881 for disputed reasons. People suspected that her husband had an affair, but he claimed the marriage ended because of alcoholism. After their split, she took up jobs in workhouses and as a main servant, but neither lasted long. Eventually, she turned to prostitution to make ends meet. It's very interesting that she was married and had children because I think typically the association with these victims is that they were prostitutes, you know, they were no good. Um, and I think it's really important to change that narrative. Um, yeah, I, and to show I think that's that really was, true. Yeah, that she was doing it just to look after her family. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting as well when you look at some of the press reports from the time because some of these people where um, the reporters were saying that these people were living miserable and useless lives, mm. um, which is really sad to think about. And that is the kind of common perception of these mm-hmm. people. So like you say, it's very interesting that she was quite different to that. Yeah. So just after midnight on the 31st of August, 1888, Ann walked out into the night, hoping to earn the money to pay for the bed for the evening. After the discovery of her body the next day, Investigators linked her murder to that of two other women that had previously been killed in the area in April and at the start of August. However, by the time of the inquest into her murder, another woman had been brutally killed in the same fashion. Wow. Investigators quickly concluded that Mary Ann's killer was not likely to be the culprit for the previous two murders, but was absolutely the assailant of Annie Chapman, Murdered just eight days after Marianne. Wow, he's he's moving quickly. Whoever whoever this murderer was. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. Eight days as well. Mm. So let's get straight on to Annie Chapman. So Eliza Ann Smith, nicknamed Annie, was born in London, likely in eighteen forty. So I think it's also interesting that her and Mary were about the same age. Mm. Only so five years she, apart. Mm-hmm. So you know. Not to fetishize it, but it seems the killer has a type thus far. Yeah. So she married John Chapman in 1869, and the couple had three children. After the death of their daughter, Annie and John both took to drinking heavily, and their marriage collapsed. So another married woman, um, previously Mm. married woman. So Annie moved to Whitechapel and lived on and off with two men. She made money through crochet work and flower selling and subsidise this by occasional prostitution. I think this is another really important point that prostitution was a substitute. And this was often the way during this period that women would do it when they needed to, when they couldn't find other work. It wasn't their line of work, you know, all the time. Um, And we'll be talking about this in the Harlot episode that's yet yet to come further down the season. So at 1.45 on the 8th of September, 1888, Annie went out to earn money as we've just said. And she was last seen around 5.30 a.m. in the morning speaking to an unidentified man. Her mutilated body was discovered in the public backyard of a house on Dorset Street. The similarity of her murder matched the attack on Mary Ann Nichols and investigators immediately realized that the crimes were committed by the same assailant. Mm. 
Their frantic investigation picked up the pace, but another woman would be murdered by the same killer just a few weeks later. Wow. It's interesting to look at the similarities between these these first two murders because both of them went out at night to mm-hmm. get some money to pay for their lodging for that night. And then they both don't make it back. Mm-hmm. Which terrible. is very interesting. It makes you wonder as well whether the murderer had perhaps a moral stance to it, maybe that mm. he disagreed with that, or maybe he was just an opportunist. And I think the big mystery is that we will never know. We will never exactly. know. Exactly. So Elizabeth Gustavsdotter was born in 1843 in Torslanda, Sweden. Again, after a failed marriage, Elizabeth took to prostitution and was picked up multiple times by the Swedish police. In 1869, she moved to London, where she married John Stride, and the two had multiple children, although the exact number is still disputed. By 1881, they had separated, and Elizabeth took up with a local man named Michael Kidney. Throughout their on and off relationships, she used sewing, house cleaning, and prostitution to support herself. On the evening of the 29th of September, 1888, Elizabeth was out with a man, potentially a client, uh, near Burner Street in Whitechapel. Around 1am the next morning, her body was found in a stable yard, Dutfield's yard, behind the workers' club on Burner Street. Hmm. She had been murdered by a slash of the neck, although her body had been left undisturbed aside from that. This meant that the murder wasn't linked to the other two immediately. However, several hours later, the mutilated body of another woman was found just a few blocks away, leading to the theory that Elizabeth's killer had been disturbed by a man named Louis Dimschutz. He drove into the yard, put away his horse and cart, and his horse had shied from something in the darkness. But Louis couldn't see why. When he returned with a lantern, he discovered the crime scene. Investigators believed the Ripper had intended to mutilate her body, but at Louis's departure had fled the scene. Wow, interesting. Interesting. I guess, like like we said earlier, it's very interesting that all three of these women so far have been married, mm-hmm. have had kids, and their marriages haven't worked out for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. they've turned to prostitution to supplement the income that they were getting from other lines of work. And that she was then killed and potentially her killer interrupted mm. by this random guy on his horse, interrupted the killer Um, And it's interesting when you look at the next woman, Catherine Eddowes, you kind of see the result of of this interruption. But it's just very interesting. I mean, we're we're this close to to Jack the Ripper being caught in the act, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating. It it was the fact that the next murder was just a few streets away as well, which Mm. is why they're so obviously linked. Mm. So Catherine Eddowes was born in 1842, and she moved across England a few times before moving to London with her boyfriend, Thomas Conway, with whom she had three children. By 1880, she had abandoned her family, taken to drink, and was living with a new partner in a common lodging house. So a common lodging house is when you pay a small fee and as many people as they can basically fit will have a bed in this house. Um, And these were very common in Whitechapel, which fits in with what you were saying about the poverty um, and the style of life that they were having there. Right. So Catherine had picked up odd jobs to make money, 
and she turned to casual prostitution to support her alcohol habit. After being picked up by the police for public drunkenness on the 29th of September in 1888, she was released from jail at 1.30am and told to go home. Instead of going back to where she was staying, she headed towards the church, a popular location for prostitutes to pick up clients. At 1.45, Catherine's heavily mutilated body was discovered by PC Edward Watkins doing his rounds in the area. The brutality of her murder and assault was shocking and far surpassed what the killer had done to the previous three victims. It was believed by investigators that the Ripper, having been interrupted during his previous kill, took his anger and frustration out on Catherine. The swift, skillful removal of her organs in a dark alleyway led investigators to theorise that the killer had some sort of medical or anatomical knowledge. However, the shocking state of Catherine's mutilised corpse would be outdone by the, by the next and final Ripper victim, or at least final in the sense of the five that we've decided to focus on today. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. I guess that's, that's what I was talking about, about we'll see mm-hmm. the result of this interruption, that this uh, lady, Catherine, was so brutally mutilated um, in her murder that like like you said the it seems that the ripper took out his frustration of being interrupted and also potentially he just wanted to finish the job whether mm. this was we'll talk about this later when we talk about the suspects but whatever mm. his motivation was for committing these murders it seems unfinished in the murder yeah. directly before Catherine and he just needed to finish it yeah. with the murder of Catherine, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So we'll go on to our final victim now, Mary Jane Kelly. So Mary Jane Kelly's life is not well documented, but she was likely born somewhere in 1863 in Ireland. Her coal miner husband was killed in 1879, and it is believed that Mary Jane took up prostitution to support herself. Again, this is a theme across all the women. She moved to London in 1884, and found work in an upmarket brothel in London's West End. But by 1888, she was working the streets of Whitechapel and living with her then boyfriend, Joseph Barnett. Mary Jane was heard singing in her room in the lodging house on notoriously dangerous Miller's Court by fellow lodger Mary Ann Cox at 1am in the morning of the 9th of November, 1888. Mary Ann reported hearing and seeing nothing unusual for the rest of the evening. Around 10.45am, Thomas Bauer, assistant to the landlord, went to Mary Jane's door to collect her rent. When she didn't answer, he walked outside and looked through the window, finding her horrifically mutilated body on the bed. Her skin and myriad body parts had been removed and scattered throughout the entire room. Investigators believe that this is because Mary Jane was the Ripper's first victim to be killed inside, which meant he could take his time to do whatever he wanted without fear of being discovered. Wow. Gosh. That, I mean, that is brutal. Mm -hmm. We we thought Catherine was brutal, but, Mm -hmm. you know, when when he gets her inside, like, like you said, it's interesting to note that the first victim that was killed inside is the most brutal. And in research, this has led some people to suggest that maybe they weren't the same people, that maybe this was a completely different 
uh, mode of murder. So might be different people. But I think that to me, it's most compelling to to think that this was Jack the Ripper. Yeah. This was the first time he got someone inside. And so he could take his time doing all these yeah. awful, awful things. I think you can definitely draw the parallels as well between Catherine and Mary mm. Jane. Um, and I think it's also very interesting that the first crime was at the very end of August. And this is only November and it's been five people. You know, mm. crime was unprecedented in the Victorian era, but given that they had the police starting to, you know, come to being, it, this was this was scandalous to the rest of London, right? Mm. Um, perhaps you might know a bit about the press. I don't. I don't know anything about that. I focused on the victims, but mm. perhaps you know. It. Yeah, I mean, like like you say, this was scandalous to the Victorian public, and the press mm. jumped on it. I mean, it's much like social media today. <laughs> Whenever something crazy happens, people jump on it because they know that they can get the likes, they can get the shares, they can get the public interaction. And that's exactly what the press were doing. Right? Exactly. This kind of morbid fascination with anything mm. bad that happens. And the Victorian press were no different, which is really interesting. Mm. I mean, the press haven't really changed much. They're always trying to deal with these stories that will get people interested, that are crazy, that are engaging. Yeah. But what's very interesting is that the police in the Victorian era, very different to the way the police would conduct investigations today, had mm -hmm. a policy of not telling the press anything. Wow. They would shut the press out. They didn't want to get the press involved. They didn't want to tell them details because they were scared that this would mm. tip off any potential suspects. Yeah. And where this came from was from an event which is interestingly named uh, the Leather Apron Scare. Oh, gosh. Mm. So in the early days of the Jack the Ripper investigation, mm -hmm. many of the Whitechapel prostitutes that they interviewed told the police that they had been haunted and uh, manipulated and um, extorted by a man that they called gosh. Leather Jacket. Uh, leather Apron, sorry. Leather mm -hmm. Apron. And the reason they called him Leather Apron was because he wore a leather apron. That was his kind of defining mm. feature. He would never take this leather apron off. I wonder if that was related to his profession or just mm. something that he, you know, maybe it was a red herring and he wore it just to throw people off. That is terrifying. Exactly. And he had the weirdest outfit because he'd matched the leather apron <laughs> with a deer stalker hat. Bizarre. Gosh. A bizarre. true eccentric. Exactly. A very, very bizarre man. But he would run this kind of extortion racket where he'd go to these prostitutes and demand money from them. And if they refused mm. to pay, he'd beat them up, which is, you know, awful because they're terrible in awful conditions anyway. But mm. he's taking advantage of these women. And so the police began the search for Leather Apron, thinking that he could potentially yes. be Jack the Ripper. And it, would make it wasn't sense, long. right? Yeah, exactly. It would make sense. He's there at the right time. He's got issues with prostitutes. He's got a weird kind of outfit that makes him distinctive. <laughs> and he seems like the bit of the murderer type. Because mm. no one wandering around the streets wearing a leather apron is doing anything normal. Yes. In so, the evenings. <laughs> in the evenings. Yes, exactly. So it wasn't long before this story, this leather apron was leaked to the press. It was the loose lips of some of the police officers that 
got this into the press's hands. And ultimately, this destroyed the case. Yeah. Um, the press started running descriptions of the what the prostitutes had said. They, and they identified a man called John Pizer as Ooh. potentially Leather Apron. And so he became suspect number one for Jack the Ripper. And so the police started hunting him. It was this big man yeah. hunt. But because the press went crazy on this Leather Apron story, mm-hmm. John Pizer went into hiding. And as it, you would. At, oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> if you get accused of killing prostitutes, you're going to go into hiding. And this really messed up the police's case because now not only were they hunting him down to arrest him, but now he was completely gone. This was a full on manhunt now. He was missing for months until the police finally tracked him down and arrested him. And by which time he had two perfectly cast iron alibis for Mm. the murders that had taken place. So I'm not casting any judgments. Were they looking for him? While the murders, you know, were happening, or was it after all five of them? Was it, was it, you know, a process running alongside? Yeah, so it was running they were as happening. they were going on. So there had only been two murders when they started mm. investigating and when John Pizer was brought to the fore. Ah, so. okay. Thank you. We're taking a quick break from this episode to talk to you about BCAD clothing. Most of the time, history-themed hoodies and t-shirts are garish, childish, cheesy, in-your-face, and most of the time, frankly, unwearable. But BCAD clothing creates subversive, subtle, and stylish history-themed clothing that you can wear and not feel embarrassed about. They also use 100% organic, sustainable, and environmentally friendly cotton in all their items so that it's good for the planet as well. If you want to check out the full range, you can head to presenthistory.co.uk, press shop in the menu and explore. So could you tell me about any of the other suspects then? Um, Were there any others ongoing while they were looking for Leather Apron or just different suspects entirely? Yeah, so we, we come to find kind of five main suspects. Um, which is which is interesting. I mean, there were there were countless. The police uh, questioned over two thousand people. They wow. investigated over three hundred, and they detained eighty of those. Um, mm-hmm. None of them were actually formally charged at any point. Yeah. Um, they just didn't have enough evidence, and the police were completely inundated. They were overwhelmed and completely baffled. Yeah as has everyone else been that has ever tried to find out who Jack the Ripper really is. It's so is. interesting that the police were also actively looking for this person because mm. when it comes to crimes against women historically, no one cares. So mm. this, this really marks an interesting point in history beyond not knowing who Jack the Ripper is, right? Absolutely. And especially to women that are in poverty, women that are in the conditions that they are, and women who were doing the jobs that they were doing. Yes. A lot of the time. time. Exactly, exactly. Um, We'll we'll talk about this in the Harlots episode uh, more extensively, but uh, it is that thing of these are the crimes that are usually overlooked. No one one really cares if a prostitute gets killed. 
back mm-hmm. in the Victorian era, Bad which it, you know is is brutal and it's it's very tragic and it's very very sad, because despite you know what they're doing and whatever you think of that, they are human and in the case of these victims, they are mothers, they were wives and they were all daughters of someone mm-hmm. and it is, this is a bit of a tangent but I think that it's interesting. It is heartbreaking to mm-hmm. read the inquest transcript of the first victim, Marianne Nichols, because her father attended the inquest and he gave testimony of Nichols's uh, upbringing and her childhood. And, and you know, it's just heartbreaking that her father was there, not only because, you know, she was murdered, but also because of the the stigma attached to the job that she had been doing. So anyway, bit of a tangent, but it is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, these five prime suspects that we find. I'll run through the names quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Montague John Druitt. What, mm-hmm. what we will notice, before I carry on, what we will notice is that all of these have slightly crazy names. <laughs> None of them are like John Smith. Yes. They're all quite, quite impressive names. So, Just immediately on a watch list. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Montague John Druitt. We have Carl Fagenbaum, mm-hmm. Aaron Kosminski, Francis Craig, and Walter Sickert. Now, all five of these have been uh, lifted up by Ripperologists as the wow. most likely potential suspects for Jack the Ripper, which is fascinating. So, Montague John Druitt. There's not much evidence against him, really. Oh, okay. Um, but the fact that the Ripper murders ended the minute that Druitt committed suicide convinced a police officer mm. that it must have been him. Convenient. So, well, exactly. Exactly. So Druitt was an Oxford-educated man from a fairly good family, although some believed that he was sexually insane. So make <laughs> of that what you will. I'm, I'm not sure what that really means, but... Um, Yeah, so he was born in Dorset, and during his lifetime, he worked as an assistant schoolmaster in London, which kind of makes the murders even worse, because this is a guy working with children, and he's out there killing Mm. prostitutes. It's it's awful. Um, But many many believe that Druitt was behind the murders, as they were convinced that Jack the Ripper was a Whitechapel local, and Druitt Mm. uh, lived just a few miles away from Whitechapel on the other side Mm. of the Thames. Um, And he was also seen in Whitechapel during the time of the Jack the Ripper murders as well. Convenient. Exactly. So he's in the right place at the right time, or should we say the wrong place? Wrong place. At the wrong time. (laughs) So on November the 9th, 1888, seven weeks after the murder of uh, Mary Jane Kelly, which is believed to be Jack the Ripper's final murder, mm-hmm. Druitt's body was found floating in the Thames. Investigators believed that the cause of his death was suicide, but that he had been at the bottom of the river for at least several weeks. Wow. Which is around the time of Mary Jane Kelly's murder. Mm. So what would be interesting... And this is the kind of the theory behind him being a suspect is that he absolutely, for want of a better word, obliterated Mary Jane (laughs) Kelly in the room, was absolutely brutal. 
And then after that murder, he went outside, killed himself in the Thames, and his body was mm. found in the Thames. So it would fit with the it, it would yeah. fit with the sexual deviant nature that you were talking about with his background. Mm. Um, but I do wonder if it is wrong place, wrong time. Um, mm. So I'm not convinced by this case you're putting forward. Yes, neither am I. Neither am I. So next, next suspect, next candidate mm-hmm. for Jack the Ripper is Carl Fagenbaum. Uh, he was 54 years old at the time of the murders. He was a German merchant sailor. So okay. he, was, he was known to be a psychopath uh, who oh, confessed yeah. to mutilating women. And even his own lawyer believed that he was Jack the Ripper. Wow, okay. Which, which isn't a very good start for Carl Fagenbaum, that your own yes. lawyer believes that you are the murderer. So he went by many aliases during mm-hmm. his lifetime and was known to be working as a merchant on ships docked near Whitechapel at the time of the murders. So he, exactly what makes it even worse or better, depending on whether you want Carl Fagenbaum to be Jack the Ripper, is that there is evidence that shows that he was working in Whitechapel on the date of every single one of the murders. Wow. Yeah. And that's so even that's even worse than Montagu. That is real, real link up. But is exactly. there a motive? This beyond... is this is the issue. This is the issue. And the problem is, is that we don't really know the motivation of the real Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. either. But uh, he emigrated to America afterwards, uh, sometime around 1890. And he was actually convicted of murdering a woman uh, by the wow. name of Juliana Hoffman and was sent to the electric chair for his crime. Um, and experts have said that there are striking similarities between this Hoffman murder and the Ripper cases. Mm. Crazy. I'm feeling like it's him. He, this, is, this is it for me. Let's see if we can... Uh change my mind and okay the listeners we'll, minds yes we'll we'll see we'll see okay aaron kosminski next up mm-hmm. so many uh, highly esteemed police officers believe that it is aaron kosminski um and his dna was actually found on catherine eddo's shawl and, oh you know, that that really doesn't help his case mm. at all uh, he was born between 1864 and 1865, we don't really know when, in mm-hmm. Russia. And he had settled in England, in London, uh, in the early 1880s. Kuzminski was Jewish, and this was a mm. huge black mark against his name and a real kind of addition to the case that was being made against him. Because yeah. interestingly to go back to the leather apron situation, Mm -hmm. many of the descriptions that were being handed out about this leather apron guy was that he had the face of a Hebrew in inverted commas. So all of these claims were hugely anti-Semitic and Mm. to to the extent that they were very, very close to having an anti-Jewish pogrom break out in the streets of Whitechapel while this leather apron stuff was going on. So 
Exactly. And the fact that Kosminski was Jewish kind of makes that link mm. as well. Can I just get you to explain a pogrom for some of our listeners who might not know what the term means? Yeah. Um, so this is like a, a violent riot, basically. Uh, usually it's a violent riot that's targeting a particular thing, a particular group of people. Um, you see them in Germany um, during the, the Nazi regime when they were targeting Jews um, and they would go out and they'd attack Jewish people, but they'd also attack mm. the Jewish businesses, um, homes and synagogues as well. So a pogrom is kind of like a targeted violent yes. riot. Excellent. And, and Thank we you. Were, we were close to having one of those in London, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, for sure. So what's interesting is that besides being Jewish, he was also living and working as a hairdresser in Whitechapel Ooh. during the time of the murders. Giving me real Sweeney Todd energy here. Exactly. Being Barbara of Fleet Street. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We need Johnny Depp to play him in a movie. Um, so he apparently had a very strong hatred of women. And oh, apparently yeah. had homicidal tendencies to the okay. extent to the extent that he was even sent to an asylum in eighteen eighty nine, which is the year after the murders took place, and he died shortly after being sent to the asylum. Mm. So, you know, that doesn't help his case mm. at all. So police documents. Real... Yeah, go yeah ahead. of course. I was gonna say, I think it's a real critical point to note that all of the men so far disappear and the murders stop. I think that's really key mm. here, given how many occurred over such a short space of time. I think mm. maybe that might be why ripperologists perhaps target these five. Would you agree? I would say so. I would say mm. so. It see, it, like, you, like you said, it, it seems rather convenient that as yes. soon as these guys disappear, the murders stop. Yeah. Yeah. So the police documents uh, around yep. the time uh, revealed that many thought that it was Aaron Kuzminski. Um, mm. Although, to be honest, he wasn't actually pinpointed as a real suspect until mm -hmm. many years later, which is interesting. Yeah. So it was after he was dead as well, which is very, very oh. interesting. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. So our penultimate candidate for you to mm -hmm. for you to choose who you think Jack the Ripper is. Uh Francis I'm still sticking with Craig. Carl. <laughs> okay, you still like Carl. Okay. All right. Interesting. So, Francis Craig. Um many ripperologists have started to believe that Mary Jane Kelly's husband was behind oh. all the Jack the Ripper killings. Wow. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. So Craig was actually working as a reporter during the time of okay. the murders and was even covering the police courts and inquests on the Whitechapel murders, as well as other crimes in London's yeah. East End. They do say, don't they, you have to look at the victims like significant other um, mm. people who are always trying to help. They always seem to be the one that's involved, don't they, in modern day crime. So that is very interesting, Zach. It Exactly. The people that are trying to get themselves into the investigation. Very mm. interesting. And he was perfectly placed to know all that was going on. So he was born in 1837 and was the son of a well-known Victorian social reformer. Not well known to me. Don't know who they are. <laughs> but to the Victorians, I'm sure he was quite famous. 
Uh, and some mm. people suggest that uh, Craig was suffering from a mental illness. Um, nowadays, mm. we'd probably call it a schizotypal uh, personality disorder, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so he lived in Whitechapel on Marland Road, which is seven minutes away from the wow. first Ripper scene. And in 1884, he, he married Elizabeth Weston, Davies, mm -hmm. who is believed to have been a prostitute who went by the name of Mary Jane Kelly, mm. Jack the Ripper's final victim. Yeah. So theories suggest that he went into hiding um, after her death and he wanted to disguise um, all the murders with the other murders, basically. So he killed his wife, supposedly, and then went around killing all these other prostitutes to try and cover up the murder that oh, okay. he had committed, which is, which is interesting. Yeah. And, and as a court reporter involved with the police case, it would make sense that he was then best placed to figure out what the police were doing, what the police knew, mm. and so he could keep adding all these different murders to kind of throw them off. It's very clever, definitely. Mm. So... It could be him. It could be him. Mm, I'm I'm still sticking with Carl. I'm pretty okay. convinced on Carl, but convinced on let's Carl. have your last one then. So the last one is Walter Sickert. And Walter Sickert has been chosen by Patricia Cornwall as mm -hmm. the uh, as the the Jack the Ripper, the Jack the Ripper. She wrote a book called Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper, Case Closed which is wow, strong quite title. final. Exactly. And yeah. it's a bold claim. <laughs> it's a bold claim to say that the Jack the Ripper case is closed. But she uh, identifies Walter Sickert as the real Jack the Ripper and claims mm -hmm. that she has found DNA that ties some of the Jack the Ripper letters to Walter Sickert. Uh, and, you know, he's been believed to be Jack the Ripper since about the 1970s, which is interesting. Wow. So Sickert was born in Munich in 1860 and moved over with his family in 1869. Uh, what's interesting mm -hmm. is that he was known for painting prostitutes. And some believe that he used to insert clues and symbols about Jack the Ripper and his murders into his artworks. Wow. Very interesting. And some have suggested that some of the details in his paintings are so accurate to the crime scenes that only the killer could have put them in. Mm. Crazy. That's some kind of twisted, you know, if, if this is true, that is <clears throat> clever, psychopathic, like sociopathic. Um, you've really got me here. Yeah, so he, he's looking pretty good for it. So it is also believed that uh, Sickert was impotent after having several surgeries on his uh, downstairs areas. Uh, and experts have suggested that this might have been the motive behind the Jack the Ripper murders, um, that ah. he had some sort of impotence problem, which meant that he took out this sexual frustration and uh, a hatred of women that could be born out of that onto yeah. the prostitutes. And that's why they were so violent as well, because then he'd get his mm -hmm. uh, satisfaction or his gratification from revenge exactly from from killing these prostitutes 
Um, and that's, you know, that's true of many serial killers that have targeted yes. women or targeted prostitutes throughout history as well. So that's interesting. So yeah, this DNA, sure. this DNA that they found on the letters uh, was a match to some of the DNA on Sickert's own letters that he had written to different people. But it hasn't mm. really been enough to convince experts that Sickert is Jack the Ripper. Now, yeah. Sickert died in 1942 and took oh, his okay. secrets to the grave. Gosh. Mm. That's a very... He lived a long time after. He did. But he then did. it would make me wonder why he did these things, then did nothing about it for, what, mm. the best part of 50 years? That. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he died when he was uh, 82. So that's a it's a long life, and then he it takes is. these secrets. Potentially, hmm. potentially, Jack the Ripper was alive during the Second World War. Gosh, that is a crazy thought. Yeah, especially when you look at the grand scheme of history altogether, you imagine this being so so far removed. Yeah. Gosh, but it's um, not out of the question at all. To suggest that no. potentially this is this is true because only eighty two, that's not even that old, compared mm. to the way that people are living nowadays, and yeah. and as the the age was increasing over the modern period, you know you never know he could have lived a very very long life, Gosh. crazy could have his descendants just running around you know no exactly. idea. Exactly. You could have the could grandkids or great-grandkids of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. A bad Halloween costume, 100%. <laughs> um, I was just wondering if you could touch on the Ripper letters. You mentioned them a minute ago, um, mm. that Sickert's DNA was found on them. Could you just quickly explain what these letters were? Absolutely. So we have a bunch of letters. Uh, so we mm -hmm. have the letters that are called the Jack the Ripper letters, which were mm -hmm. letters sent to newspapers uh, and to police. Uh, claiming to wow. be Jack the Ripper. And when you listen to them, when you read them, they are haunting um, because it is this guy talking about the crimes that he has committed, talking Gosh. about how he'll do it again. And, you know, it's terrifying, some of these letters. Um, so we have those letters that are kind of widely affirmed mm. that they were from Jack the Ripper. But then you have countless other letters that were sent to the press, that were sent to police, and pretty much all of them have been accepted as forgeries. Yeah. Um, because you've got some that are called like the from the hell, from hell letters, um, mm -hmm. which are very interesting. Um, but then you've got some that are known as the boss letters. And for some reason, I find those kind of the most creepy out of all the letters. Yeah. Because they start these letters um, addressing police officers or the press as boss so it's like hey boss i did this crime and to me just being so colloquial and so yeah. friendly with um the police when you're jack the ripper mm. to me just is quite creepy but yeah That's so we, we have loads we have loads of letters from potentially the real jack the ripper and then others mm -hmm. uh, from people pretending to be him that's scary. I, d I don't know mm. if you're familiar with it. A new series came out on Netflix this week called The Watcher, um, which is about modern, uh, a true story as well. I just started watching that and that's about letters. 
this watcher is sending letters to the house and it's really scary isn't it the sort of being observed and that these people can you have no power it takes away your power and especially when people in Whitechapel would be looking to the police this would really heighten the fear I believe absolutely um, and the check fa- it out if you haven't yeah absolutely it. absolutely and the fact that they were letters as well makes it even yes. more creepy because they were handwritten by potentially wow. the murderer which makes them so personal you are holding something that the murderer has held as well it's very different to a text message or an email which is just sent over the internet a handwritten letter is infinitely yeah. more creepy with his DNA on as well, mm. you know, I can see why that would seal it in a lot of people's minds, definitely. Absolutely. Do you do you have a preferred suspect? Uh, the problem is, I was thinking about this before we started recording. I don't think I do. Yeah. I think that none of them are the real Jack the Ripper. Wow. I think that there is some anomaly that is existing mm-hmm. out there um, that no one knows. No one knows who he is. No one knows where he was or what he did or potentially the extent of his crimes. Um, Mm -hmm. Interestingly, another theory of who it could have been would just be gang violence. Um, Yeah. Which I don't really like that idea. It's quite a lot of similarities as well between these cases for it to just be gangs, in my opinion. But Exactly. I think that's a pretty good answer. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that we don't know. We don't know yet, mm. but yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I think that leads quite nicely onto his legacy, Jack the Ripper's yeah. legacy, his memory and his place in not only British culture, but world culture. He's become mm-hmm. synonymous with serial killers, the most famous serial mm-hmm. killer in history. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I'd be interested to know your thoughts on on his place in culture and his legacy. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's... It's unbelievable. I remember when I was looking at undergraduate courses, one of their big draws for history was Jack the Ripper. They had wow. like a module on it and how you could solve the crime using history. I, I think it has such a big pull to it. Mm. And it's shocking, really. But then when you think about most modern day murders, we sort of do know who's done them and why they've done them and everything. And I think it's it's the not knowing. And I think we can draw parallels in some ways to the Madeleine McCann case that it just has so much interest because there are no answers there. Mm. Um, And with that, I'd like to say, you know, listeners, if you have any ideas, please do let us know Um, on Zach's website. We would, we would love to know what you think. Absolutely. You can solve it. Leave it in the comments, DM us, whatever you want to do. Tell us who you think Jack the Ripper was. And if you have evidence, we'd also like to see that. And maybe we'll do a follow-up episode looking at viewer mm-hmm. and listener cases for Jack the Ripper. Yeah, that would be excellent. Um, I just And also to obviously acknowledge um, the tragic loss of the women's lives. Of course. You know, we're not trying to fetishize this in any way, but we can acknowledge what has happened while also being interested in the true historical nature of the crime. And I think that's what makes it such a special case also. Absolutely. And I think that that speaks to the Ripper's place, the fact that he has become such a myth. And like you say, people fetishize him. There are Mm. Ripper museums, there are Ripper tours, there are Mm. TV shows based on Ripper. East End End Women's Museum now, that was originally a Jack the Ripper museum. 
Um, exactly. And everyone said, whoa, you know, this is completely wrong. Like, think about the victims. Mm. And I think that's really important. Um, and I haven't actually been to visit because I think for a long time it was um, not in a public space as a museum, but I'd definitely like to go soon. So I think you should all go as well. Absolutely. Go go check it out and, and you know, start shifting the narratives around Jack the Ripper. I mean, that's the beautiful yeah. thing about history is that narratives mm-hmm. can be shifted, different things can be brought to light and different focuses can be made. Yeah. And I hope that we've shared that with you all today. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for listening to this first episode of Dark Britain, where we talked about Jack the Ripper, the myth and the murder. Thank you for listening. And once again, make sure to follow us on all social medias to keep up to date with all that we do. And we will see you next time on Dark Britain. Bye.